Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, Swine Robotics, SwineWeb.com, and Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hoghearth. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about water quality and its myths and facts with Andreas Funk. Thanks for joining us today, Andy. Hey, it's, it's a pleasure. It's absolutely a pleasure joining you. I'm excited. We had a call about a week or two ago to kind of talk through what this episode would look like. And I got to tell you, you have some really interesting stories and myth busting that we're going to talk about today around water quality, as well as how it pertains to pork production and where we might not be giving it the attention and respect that it deserves and compared to nutrition and a lot of the other specialties in our industry. So if you would just mind starting out by telling us your background and, and how you got involved in, in, in the swine industry. Oh my, well, that goes way back um, in the swine industry. I've been feeding hogs, I think, since I was probably uh, 12 or 13 years old, uh, probably mucking pens before then. But um, yeah, uh, that's been a many years ago. Um, obviously, growing up, uh, I grew up on, on a small farm and, and we had different species of animals, but we, we grew and, 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 and fed ourselves off of, off of harvesting them. And so it's, it's a pretty basic background, but hogs was always one of the things that was, um, we could raise them in a short period of time. We get some hogs on the farm in the spring and by fall, they were in the freezer or, or hanging, uh, off the smokehouse rack. So I think, uh, never gave that much of attention to, to the actual hogs, uh, other than they had to be mucking and they, and they smelled bad until I worked in the, in the commercial hog industry. And, uh, in the commercial hog industry, we, we, uh, you know, they were hogs, so they got what, uh, what hogs like, um, but never really gave, uh, their, their water diet a second, second thought water was water. It came out of a pond. It came out of a well, um, it came out of a pipe of some sort and, uh, was really discouraging was when the water nipple was plugged. So I think, uh. To answer your question, I think that was that was probably the beginning of it. Um, um, I think probably my earliest memory was a hog got out. I must have been about four or five years old, and um, my parents, uh, who just celebrated their fiftieth wedding anniversary, as a matter of fact, yesterday, um, just uh, reminded me again of me being just a young lad and this pig being just the perfect height to run between my legs and it swept me off my feet and I ended up riding this hog. Um, and, uh, I called it the pink pig because to me, all pigs were pink. So there's a little bit of a chuckle in there for you. <laughs> That's funny. The, the, uh, so then like, then what happened? Well, we, we finally got the pig back in obviously, but, uh, 
got after a wild ride and uh you know that was that was the beginning of my experience with the hog industry um you know i continued on uh working with different commercial farms and uh, eventually became a floater for a company here in in in, in southern manitoba where i grew up um in in canada i no longer live here per se but um i've been able to work extensively in the livestock industry for different companies as well as for my own company now and uh, just enable farmers to advise them in regards to how to grow better animals, um, how to become more efficient and uh, different products that work and that don't work um, in that industry. Uh, I think when it comes to water, uh, there's a there's a huge misconception in regards to what water is. And there's no doubt water is quite complicated. Um, the, the main treatments though, um, we, we can manipulate water to suit our best interest. Uh, most of, most of all, I mean, we can, we can manipulate water to suit the animal's growth, um, potential. And, and that's, I think one of the things that we like to talk about today is, is how we can do that without breaking the bank, so to speak. Um, yeah, and when, and when you say we, we're talking about just the science of water and the potential and opportunity within it, right? Yeah, and 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 not every water source is the same, and 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 the water, the water doesn't stay the same. So, when it comes to water, one of my earliest memories what is of my dad who bought a property. It was virgin land, and one of the first things you look for in a property is 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 their water source. So he decided that he was going to drill a well and that well yielded um, an amazing amount of water so much. So that when the pipe had been put in the ground, he used a wood block and he put it in there. And I remember water spraying out and I was, I was a young lad. So running around in the water was fun and got all full of mud, but going back even further, I remember the young, the young man that I was very, very um, curious. Um, the neighbor came down and he was witching for a well. And so he held these two sticks and, and he was waiting for them to cross and, and he was walking around and, and I think he probably maybe had almost given up um, because he handed them over to me and he said, here's how you hold them. And this is how you do this. And so I was walking around and all of a sudden they crossed over on me and I thought, wow, this is kind of crazy. I'm not even holding them tight because he, he said, you hold them loose. And so I held them loose and all of a sudden they started wagging on me in an unnatural way. And so that was kind of my first experience with water. And I've been interested in water ever since, but not more so in recent years when I understood how water works in, in animals, in the human body and uh, obviously in hogs. Yeah. I mean, within hogs, it, it affects growth, health, reproduction, lactation, sustainability, there's so many factors of how water plays a substantial role in production. But before we get into production, I'd love to lead with people and some of the myths and things that we use for ourselves and tell ourselves to help bring it closer to home here. Something I recently learned was that the human body, um, the human brain, as a matter of fact, is, is uh, inhibited the thought thought process is, is inhibited simply by being dehydrated by 2%. Now, 
we don't normally think of ourselves. I mean, we drink uh, so many different types of liquids, but we don't think about is that liquid in fact hydrating us or is it simply passing through us? Um, if we drink two liters of water a day and we pass two liters of water a day, uh, we assume we have a good water diet. However, I would venture to say that we have a poor water diet because our skin, all of our organs, our bloodstream, all requires water and oxygen, obviously inside that water. And so for us to absorb the water, it's different than just drinking it. So how much water are we drinking? And how much of that water are we, in fact, absorbing? It's not just passing through our urinary tract um, or, or, or passing through our stomach. Uh, how much of it is actually being absorbed into our bloodstream? And can we do more, you know, if, if by the things that we drink, can we hydrate ourselves better? Now, I haven't gotten as much into the human body as I have into animals, but I would, I would venture to say that some of the some of the physical ailments that we currently are challenged with um, could quite possibly be prevented by simply drinking better water or better you know liquids and and nurturing ourselves better with water so that within that i mean that's i guess even before that you have coffee and you have beer and you have all these things that are made with water but you're probably not absorbing water when you drink that that could that could very well be. I mean, I don't have any lab tests that would would challenge that, but that, you know, you know, and I and I would definitely not discourage people from drinking coffee uh, or beer for that matter. You know, but it's Although not your source there, of water. There are certain amounts, you know, everything within within uh, within reason, right? Um, yeah. So, good water versus bad water. What are some of the myths that exist around that? I always say that there's no such thing as bad water. Uh, simply because we have the technology these days um, to manipulate water. And there are three, three basic ways um, that we can manipulate water. We can, um, but that are common to us now. We, we in our homes or in, in the bars, we, we, can, we can take everything out of the water, and that's called reverse osmosis. We take everything out of the water, and then we introduce the things back in that we want. Um, we can manipulate water using different chemicals. And there's a lot of different chemicals on the market that we can use. And some of those chemicals require filtration after um, a specific filtration. Uh, we have different types of media filters. We have green sand filters that are dependent on, on, on chemicals to rejuvenate them. We have uh, all kinds of different, you know, applications and so the, it starts with a water analysis and you look and see what components are in your water. Um, but it all comes down to the structure of water, basically. You know, what do you have in your water? What is your water source? Now, water that's in the ground uh, in a deep well, uh, whether it's, you know, um, two, three, four hundred feet down, or if it's uh, a water well under the influence of groundwater, um, or it's in an open reservoir, you have different challenges. Uh, the deep well oftentimes brings up um, more salinity. You have a higher TDS possibly, um, but each well is different. Now, when you're dealing with open bodies of water, the misconception is oftentimes that 
when you have um, uh, a water, a standing body of water in the spring, uh, it's going to be different during spring runoff than it is going to be in the fall. And, and the changes are drastic oftentimes. It, it depends on the, the shallowness and the size of the body of water, um, whether the composition is going to change a lot. Now, if you have a deep reservoir, you will have some um, evaporation, but it might not evaporate as much as a shallow body of water that's maybe spread out a little bit more. But the shallow body of water, like recently we had... Uh, we had a news article that came out in Saskatchewan in regards to fish dying off because the water uh, became so shallow in a lake that the fish could no longer live. Now, that's a, that's a perfect example in regards to how water affects, uh, the water changes over a period of time. Um, well, water oftentimes has its own set of challenges with iron bacteria happening and the interesting thing is each one of the components in the water, whether it's, um, whether it's iron, manganese, magnesium, uh, or in the compounds, it's generally not that isolated component that's causing the problem. Now, people oftentimes look at, at the water test and they say, well, we have high iron. Um, and how does that affect our animals? But it's not necessarily the iron that's the problem. What's the problem is, 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 is the, the iron reacts to sodium. And sodium um, and iron together create rust. When you have that rust scale in your lines, it doesn't matter whether it's, it's, a, it's a different type of plastic line of some sort, PVC or, or black plastic, or you have copper lines, or you have even metal lines in some cases, um, in your barns, you will have scaling. Scaling is the perfect, perfect uh, trap for biofilm. And biofilm is the perfect food for bacteria. And so the common thought process is, well, we'll treat our water with chemicals and the chemicals will oxidize the water lines. Now, oftentimes not sufficiently, but things things are oftentimes not managed properly and so you end up with semi clean lines but you still end up with challenges in those lines um bacteria coming through different types of coliforms that affect the animal's immune system i might be getting ahead of myself here but yeah no it's okay i mean one thing i'd i'd like to touch right before we get to production is you had talked about rainwater versus tap water versus well water and how mm. drastically different they can all be within how oxidized that water might be or what chemicals are being or what minerals are being pulled out and what's being put in. Do you talk just briefly about how different they all are? Let's go back again and, and, and just talk about the basic structure of water, the water molecule and how the components inside that water react. Now, when you have a drop of water that's falling through the Earth's atmosphere, you have, um, you have an energy that's happening. There's nothing that falls through the Earth's atmosphere that doesn't get somewhat excited. I mean, the last time I jumped out of a plane, which is never, I think I would be very excited. Those of you who have know that you get pretty excited when the Earth is rushing up at you. 
A water droplet probably doesn't get excited, but it does get affected. There's an energy that happens. And, and uh, we can measure inside a rain barrel, if you catch a, a rain barrel of water, we, can, we know that the components inside the water, the iron doesn't find the sodium and begin to oxidize until it settles out. And that only happens after four days. And there's a magnetic energy that happens inside the water barrel. Um, so we all know that rainwater is probably the best source of water for, for drinking for plants. Um, it's, it's considered the best source of water. Now, what happens to water after it settles out? There's all kinds of opportunity for growth, for oxidization for whatever is in that water. It could be bacteria will grow. We know that bacteria re reproduces itself every 20 minutes at 20 degrees. So the warmer the water, um, at, you know, within reason, the more bacteria growth you will have. Uh, we know that biofilm and in our ponds, algae growth uh, in a warmer body of water, you're going to have more algae growth and that's going to impact what what's in the water lj gives off different types of different types of uh ingredients inside the water and so how you manage that water after then is going to be dictated what your quality is that you can you can produce you how do you need to filter it do you need to do you need to use an ro system on it because there's the tds is so high and it's not manageable or palatable to to humans or animals um, and then also um, are you going to be able to uh, find ways of where that water is going to nurture you um, or the animals? So that's the challenge. And we've we've you know recently, not recent, not so recently. One of the one of the challenges, one of the studies that NASA had uh, when they started uh, putting people into space was how do you keep astronauts hydrated? What what does it take? to keep an astronaut hydrated on a space station or in, in, a, in a space shuttle. And they found that uh, water that was similar to rainwater would keep the astronaut better hydrated over the time that they were in space. Because once again, going back to drinking the water doesn't necessarily hydrate you. Drinking the water and passing it through doesn't necessarily mean you have a great water diet and that you are fully hydrated. So they did a study and they found that um, this is going back. Uh, there's some technology out on the market. It's been there for many, many years. And it's oftentimes been considered a myth uh, that if you put water through a magnet, um, you will, you know, you will energize your water and therefore you will have a better quality of water. The magnets that were created back in 1960 aren't necessarily the same as the magnets that are being used in electric cars these days. So uh, the energy level and, and the longevity of that magnet and the physics that are available are no longer the same than what were. I mean, I think if you go back to the late 1800s, people were manipulating water with magnetic energy. And I'm, I'm curious in regards to why they were doing so. Whether it was snake oil then or wasn't, 
is kind of interesting to me. And so um, I've gotten involved with that a little bit in regards to my own business uh, with magnesium water technologies, and I've seen some amazing results. So that would be the benchmark for for how to manipulate water, um, how to make um, filtration more efficient, how to uh, basically increase productivity in animals, um, and how to also run an RO system that's more efficient. We've seen some amazing results by using uh, by using magnetic energy as a as a starting point for reducing or eliminating chemicals and for making the current equipment run a lot more efficiently than what it has been in the past in, in some of the farms that I've dealt with. So with that, I mean, if, well, let's start with growth. All right. Pig growing, even it, maybe it's a replacement guilt. Until she can be HNS, how does great water impact rate of gain or growth over those first six to nine months? Well, let's start even before that, uh, Matthew. I think if we go back to, I think it basically starts all at lactation. I think genetics, uh, and you know, I could be wrong when we're talking about the geneticists, but I think genetics, the genetics of the animal starts at birth. The quality of the milk um, and the amount that you produce. Now, we have sows out there now, and they have made extreme, you know, extreme gains over the last many years in regards to how, how genetics is manipula- manipulated in regards to how many teats a sow has. Now, we all know that sows can have, you know, um, a lot of teats these days, and that means their larger litters can be fed better. But when you have a piglet and she's drinking from the mother, it's not the quantity of the milk, but the quality of the milk that's going to increase the growth. And I think it starts with what the sow is drinking, whether she's absorbing that water, because... The question isn't going to be how much water she's drinking that's going to change her feed efficiency. It's going to be how much of that water is she absorbing and therefore enabled to, to, to tap into the, the nutrients that are in the feed, metabolize it, and turn that into milk without losing body conditioning and therefore feeding her piglets. I think if we if we start there, we can go up the line and find out uh, in recent months, uh, just within the last eight to 10 months, we discovered that a farm was challenged. Um, they couldn't they couldn't um, gain more than 28 kilograms. They have they had tried so hard to gain more than 28 kilograms in the nursery. So they would wean their piglets at about 20 and a half days and they would leave their piglets in the nursery up until about 70 days. And then they would go into the finisher portion of the barn. They weigh their piglets on a weekly basis to see what their gains are. They're quite an astute uh, operation. And so uh, they found that they could not surpass 28 kilograms, no matter what they did. 
So they bought, simply bought a magnation device, put it into the line. And when they put it into the line, they've seen gains go up to 34 kilograms. And they said, well, this can't be accurate. We're going to pull it back out. They dropped back down to 28 kilograms. And they did this several times. And they were convinced that this device was making an impact on their piglets. Now, if we take that and we put that into the finisher barn, and you can increase that, whether it's the finisher barn or whether it's um, the gilt barn, the way your animal is growing is going to be determined. And we and I, and I have a, a, a really good a friend who works for a feed company, and he will he fully agrees with me. The way an animal grows is determined on how the quality of the food it has or how much it can tap into those nutrients. And the same thing goes for water. The, the nutrients that are in the water, are they bioavailable to that guilt? And when you have animals that are growing forward healthy, their genetics will change. Now, if you're only going to have, I mean, for, for argument's sake, if you're only going to have a barn full of runts and you're going to take that genetic and reproduce with that genetic, you're going to have another barn full of runts, right? Correct. So then does it even start further back into reproduction within a boar stud? Absolutely. Um, we have had some interesting conversations in regards to that and regards to semen production with, with boars that have been able to utilize water differently. Some of the challenges um, that are faced in our industry, we don't necessarily, we, we look at water quality and we say, how is it working for us? But we don't understand it because it is a compl complicated uh, topic. Uh, we choose to manipulate the water. Uh, we know that if we reduce the amount of bacteria that's in the water, then we are giving our animal the best advantage. But it, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. We're a little bit more intricate than that. The question is, when we're, when we're feeding our animals water, are we aware of what the nutrients are in that water and how it's impacting our animal? That's a totally different science. There's some really good conversations I have with some nutritionists and some veterinarians in regards to uh, how this all works together. But we know that, um, for instance, um, if you have high sulfates in your water, how is it going to impact the animal's diet? Now, we know if you have high sulfates, extremely high sulfates in your water, your, your animals are going to be extremely loose. They're not going to process their feed, and it's just going to kind of go through them. Um, but the interesting thing is, and I think there's uh, a study that's being done right now uh, in regards to semen production and water consumption inside the animals and the type of water consumption. So I'm interested to see what that study yields. So for individuals to use like reservoirs or water, does that water change over time as it's stored, especially through seasons? Incredibly. And it, and it, it depends on, it depends on the dry season, whether you've had a dry year or whether you've had a wet year, it depends on runoff. It depends on what kind of chemicals are being used in and around um, on the fields, especially be because it's yielding, you know, it's, it's collecting over, over a land base. 
Um, there's so many variables that that come together inside that reservoir um, in regards to what you're tapping into. Now, when you have a reservoir, we let's let's follow the path of that water. So let's say you have snowfall, um, in or you have low snowfall, and there's a lot of dust uh, over the winter. Uh, because it's been a windy winter. And so you're going to have a lot more sediment that is being filtered into that body of water. Uh, or you have, um, you've had an issue with, um, uh, haven't been able to, you've had a couple of wet years and therefore guys haven't been able to uh, spray as much, um, you know, herbicide. And so you have a lot of herbicide that is being used for one season. That herbicide collects over the next season into a body of water and, and there may be contamination there. Um, that's why I think a lot of, especially here in Canada, you have a lot of requirements in regards to uh, commercial farmers having to produce uh, or having, having to get their water tested on an annual basis so that they can sh show uh, CQA, you know, the quality control uh, management here in Canada in regards to what kind of water they have. Now, um, do these farmers understand necessarily what their water test is telling them? Uh, probably not. It's, it's good to talk to a water specialist in regards to what they're seeing and how, how they should be concerned or if they should be concerned. Um, the same goes for... I think I think that's applicable just as much as as getting in a load of feed and uh, or harvesting a crop of, of barley or wheat and 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 sending it away to your nutritionist to, for him to have a look at to see if what the quality of the of the feed is going to be. I think that's comparable to to having a water test and being able to see what's in that water that you just tested uh, and how it might impact your animals and. And, and and I would venture to say and, and advise to get the water test done both in the spring and the fall, especially if you have an open body of water that maybe uh, there was plenty of it in the spring, but then towards the fall you've had a lot of evaporation. It's been a windy, uh, windy summer. It's it's um, depleted quite a bit. What are you going to be feeding your animals throughout the winter? Uh, also, the aeration of of the body of water. How do you keep it fresh? Um, and how have has the salinity has the has the sodium increased in in the water? Because when when water evaporates, the elements don't evaporate with it. You know, you don't you don't have the elements remain. And so, it basically, if you had a TDS of of say three or four hundred total dissolved solids of, of three or four hundred in the spring it's going to be higher in the fall because you know, the things that are in the water are going to be increased as far as parts per million is concerned. Correct. Correct. So if, if you had a couple call to actions for our industry or for producers around water, what would they be? What are the next steps that producers can take if they haven't taken many to potentially realize significant improvements in their production by focusing on water. I think, I think this is an, definitely an initial call to action in regards to talking to you. Uh, the question, the two questions that I have for any farmer is what's your water source and what's in your water. 
they'll usually be able to answer me the first because they know exactly where their water is coming from. Um, the only farmers that can't necessarily answer it is if they have what we call municipal water, county water, town water. Uh, if it's coming from a treatment facility, then they don't know whether it's coming out of a well or coming out of a river. They know that it's being treated and that, tre that treatment may take place 15 miles away and they get the water test from there. But the water that's in the treatment facility 15 miles away isn't necessarily the same as the water that's coming out of the, the nipple in the barn. There's a lot of things that happen over a long distance of time that can happen inside your water lines. There are contaminations, contaminants that can get in. There is things that can happen. So what's inside your water line is a key question because it's going to tell you if you have scale buildup, then you will have biofilm buildup. And if you have biofilm film buildup, the potential for you to have bacteria inside those lines is, is crucial. It's, it's, it's big. The third question that I would have for the farmer is your water dead or alive? And I usually know the answer to that because any body of water that's been sitting for a long time, uh, any well, any, that's been sitting inside your water um, lacks what we call dissolved oxygen. When you have lower dissolved oxygen in your water, it's not alive. It's not as absorbable. You can't. You it'll pass through you a lot quicker. You're not going to. You're not going to hydrate from it as quickly. What you want to give your animal is the best hydration opportunity that you possibly can when they drink water. You don't necessarily want them to drink more water. You want them to absorb the water that they are drinking. And so that's a little bit of a new concept for a lot of farmers that I talk to. They understand it quite quickly because it's, it's, it's quite simple in regards to if you have water. Now, if you run a glass of water out of your tap and you let it sit on the counter, you have air bubbles forming in it, or does it just kind of sit there? When you run a, a glass of water, is it milky in color? Uh, initially, and then it kind of clears up, uh, or is it simply clear right from the start and it just kind of sits there? The dissolved oxygen that's in your water is going to really impact your animals in a positive way. Um, and there's different ways of testing it. The other term that I, that I, that I use with farmers is ORP, oxidization reproduction potential. If you can reduce the oxidization reproduction potential inside your water, you will have a better result. So to answer your question, um, those are, those are the, the several different ideas that I talk to when I talk to farmers in regards to get them motivated to think about water inside the barns. The misconception has been on the farm years and then and then the, and the term that i hear so many times is well they're just pigs and that water is good enough that water is good enough until they start having plugged water nipples then all of a sudden it becomes important uh you know they're just pigs well if you want to reduce uh the amount of uh feed that you're using and you want to better tap into the nutrients that are there then the water becomes a, a priority. It becomes a main focus. I would venture to say that the water diet is, is equally as important as a feed diet is to an animal.
Well, th- thanks for sharing those. And to kind of wrap up here, we just want to thank you for joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast. This has been a great episode to teach us all about the importance of water and maybe some of the things that we overlook. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time to, to speak with us today. I would challenge anybody to, to, to use some of these thought-provoking ideas in regards to their operation. And if you have any questions, you can contact me uh, through various different social media outlets, including LinkedIn, or better yet, you can call Magnation Water Technologies in Oakland, California, and they would be happy to answer some questions for you, or they'll direct me, uh, you to me as well as, you know, to your listeners. Thanks, Matthew. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.